Romans chapter 5 is where we are in our journey through Paul's letter to the Romans. We've been calling this series Glory in the Gospel. We're going to see more glory this morning, I trust, as we get into this, uh, this new chapter. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 will be our, our text. Back in the uh, spring of 2020, you may have seen the program called Some Good News. You, you see, you know what I'm talking about? It was a sort of a mock newscast on the internet hosted by the actor John Krasinski uh, from his home during the quarantine, uh, where he would feature, you know, kind of silly and stories and feel-good stories and humorous interviews and became very popular very quickly because with all the bad news going on in the world, a lot of people were hungry for some good news. Uh, but the series only ran through the shutdown. It, it ended in May of 2020, and here we are two years later, and don't we want some good news? <laughs> uh, we, we watch the news today, we scroll through headlines and photos, and so much of it is painful and ugly and downright evil. Uh, we see, of course, the war in Ukraine and just so much destruction, so much, so much death. We see inflation here at home. We feel that a little bit closer. The, the grocery bill gets bigger and the packages get smaller. And uh, we, we, we see the gender confusion in Supreme Court nominees and Disney executives and NCAA officials and scandals in evangelical megachurches like the implosion of, of Hillsong. Well, I have some good news for you today. Not the kind that will be a momentary distraction, a little, a little bit of light entertainment while the world burns all around us. It's certainly not meant as a, a substitute for taking action, like uh, helping refugees or, or doing community service or just planting a garden. This is good news that the world desperately needs, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ who brings our salvation, when all other news may lead us to lament in despair, this news leads us to rejoice in hope. Would you like some of that? Yeah. So our passage this morning is just a short one at the beginning of Romans 5. The key word is hope, um, but I want to actually back up. Like I've been usually doing this, backing up because, I mean, Paul is not breaking this down into chapters and verses. He is, he's got a long thing that he's doing, and we're trying to keep up with him. But let me back up to another appearance of the word hope that you'll remember from last week's passage. Right in the middle of the paragraph, uh, verse 18 of chapter 4, uh, speaking of Abraham, Paul says, in hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a, a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, his wife. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Folks, that's some good news. Here's the, the sermon in a sentence this morning. And it's addressed to Christians. That's really important. doesn't mean it's not to you if you're here and not a Christian because you can become one today. So this can be for you, all right? Believer, all that you receive from God gives you reason to rejoice in hope. If you're here today and you're, you're looking to, to God in faith, you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, believer, all that you receive from God gives you reason to rejoice in hope. We're going to cover these five verses in three parts. Here's part one. You can see this on the outline or on the screen here. Hope procured. Stand in grace and rejoice in the hope of glory that is yours through Christ. He obtained it for you. He procured it for you. So verses one and two list a few things we possess because we've been justified by faith because we are in Christ. And I, I keep reviewing justification because it is so often misunderstood. So I hope you'll, you'll humor me once more, at least once more. There may be more after this. I don't know. But justification. Justification has to do with justice. In this case, final justice, final judgment. When we will stand before God to be judged on the basis of what we have done. And the fact is, we've all done wrong. So how could a righteous God, a righteous a judge that always rules rightly, how could he do anything but condemn us? Well, I, I trust that you don't want condemnation any more than I do. What you want is its opposite, opposite of condemnation, justification. Justification is being found in the eyes of the court to be righteous. Now, we just said that was impossible. We will be found guilty based on what we have done. The good news is that we can be given a righteous standing. That, that, when, when we say given, that means this is going to be about grace. It's going to be a gift. We can be given a righteous standing, justified through faith in Jesus who died in order to redeem us, paying the penalty of our sins for us so that we could be forgiven and free. It's not going to do any good to read past this first clause of this first verse. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we can't go any further if you don't have faith in Christ. If you've not settled the issue of your standing before God, because that's the basis for these blessings from God. You can't skip past this part and still get the peace and the grace and the glory. You've got to take care of the faith issue, and then you've got something. And then if you're a believer here today, that's, that's what we're rejoicing in. Well, we've, we've got something here. This is, this is uh, what's yours. So we're not going to stop the sermon here to see, not, like, is everybody believed? Are we ready to go forward? I'm going I'm to trust if you're not there yet, maybe what will convince you is what is promised to believers. For those who are believers, pay attention because this, this is what is yours in Christ. So again, 
Verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace sounds pretty good right now, right? Especially if you are stressed, frazzled, anxious, worried. Maybe your idea of the perfect state of personal tranquility is, you know, just a day on the boat fishing in, the, in, just in some secluded place. Oh, that's peace. Some of you are like, I, ugh, I don't want to do that. Like, how about a spa day? You know, I want, I want the, the, you know, somebody giving me a back rub, and I want, I want peace and quiet. That's, that's your idea of peace. The peace described uh, in this passage, in this context, and, and, and we're going to see this next week. In fact, if you just look ahead to verse 10, um, we're going to spend our time here in, in next Sunday in that paragraph, but verse 10 talks about enemies being reconciled. That's the kind of peace we're talking about, enemies being reconciled. So this peace is not so much about personal tranquility, kind of Zen thing. This is the kind of peace that is needed right now between Russia and Ukraine. The end of conflict, the end of combat, and, and, and that we need that kind of peace, you and me, between us and God. And I don't want to, again, further spoil next week's sermon, but here's the, here's the clue. God's not the enemy. We are. God didn't start the war. We did. We were the aggressor. We were the enemy. We were the rebel. The, we, we, are, we are the human beings, are the insurrectionists against God's rightful rule. But, God, but excuse me, Jesus died for our sin so that nothing stands in the way of peace. Nothing stands in between us anymore. We'll celebrate that reconciliation next week. But now, just think here. Now, wouldn't that kind of peace, the end of conflict, the end of combat, wouldn't that kind of peace bring about the other kind of peace, that, that sense of rest and relief? So we've got to make sure that what, we know what we're talking about in, in terms of peace with God, but I think it's going to bring that more of that feeling of peace as well, um, just, or just look back at uh, chapter 4, um, where Paul quotes Psalm uh, 32 in verses 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's a guy who's feeling some relief and some joy. So what if that feeling of rest and relief, that, that freedom from guilt, from shame, from, from feeling that, that God's against you, that you are against God, what if that feeling of relief could be yours? If, if you are a believer, it is yours. That's what this says. This is yours. If you're not feeling it, like, okay, so objectively, I know I've got that peace, but subjectively, I don't, I don't feel that kind of peace. I don't feel that freedom, that relief. If you're not feeling it, let's press into what Christ has done for you by faith. That's, that's what that's why we come back to the Lord's Supper again and again and again. That's why Jesus tells us, do this in remembrance of me because we forget, because we drift away, because we need to keep pressing it in, massaging it into our hearts, not just in our memory banks, but into our hearts to know that, yes, this is what he's done for me. He's created the conditions of peace. And so when I Remember that when I take hold of that again, when I take it in, folks, let, let it give you the peace that he wants you to have from that truth. You have been just, therefore, since you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God. 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Memorize that verse. Believe this verse. Bank on it. Hold on to it. That's some good news. And Okay, that, that's just the first thing. We're going to spend a whole, so much more time talking about peace with God, reconciliation, next paragraph, next week. But we're, we're moving on. We're bullet pointing a few things that we have uh, because of who we, where we are in Christ. Uh, so, the, verse 2. Through him, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This, the word also seems to describe this as a second thing. We've got this, peace with God. We also have this. Uh, it's, but it's very much in the same vein. may even just be kind of a couple different ways of looking at the, the same thing. Again, a, a privileged position that is ours to stand in grace. Not only there's not, there's, there's, it's not just that there's nothing between us anymore. Again, reconciliation, we're together. We, we're we're in a position of grace. How did we get there? Through Jesus. We have access by faith. That is, having been justified, having our sins taken away, the sin issue, we have access. Now, remember a while back, earlier in this series, I told you a story about, uh, took place three years ago now, um, going to a large conference. And I was going to this thousands of people conference uh, as a guest of my brother who was a speaker. So I had special credentials, you know, the, the special badge that got me into exclusive areas. And uh, so I, I would not have been, I mean, if I'd walked in, I would not have been recognized by anybody that was important. Not, I, my face would have not have been recognized. My name would not have been recognized. I, I, I didn't pay for registration. I didn't do anything deserving special treatment, but I'm with him. You know, I, that, that's all I got. That's all you got. He said, I'm, I'm with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, if you're, when you get, we have all kinds of ways of imagining, you know, when, one day when I get up to the pearly gates and I'm, you know, St. Peter's there, like, where, how did we get Peter at the gate? I don't know. Like, when I get there, what are you going to say? I'm with Jesus works. Now, even if you can't, you may not be able to explain, you're like, justification, justification. What did that mean? What did Bruce say? He said it so many times. I'm with Jesus. And you've got to understand that that means I'm, I'm trusting in, in his access. I'm trusting in his ability, his, his worthiness to enter. That's, that's the only way I get in. And I'm counting on that. I'm riding his coattails into glory. That's how you get in. That, and that gets you into some, somewhere way better than just, you know, the speaker's lounge with fancy hors d'oeuvres at the, at the conference. That to, to put a finer point on that, think about how the, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple of Israel was designed to communicate that sinners did not have access to God apart from atonement. Hence the need for priests as mediators, for sacrifices to pay the penalty of death for sin. Sinners, apart from atonement, sinners like you and me cannot just waltz right in to the holy of holies, the most holy place, the presence of God. You might as well casually stroll into a nuclear reactor. You will be destroyed, disintegrated. But since you have been justified by faith, you have access by faith. You have access 
through Jesus Christ. And he didn't just, he didn't just open the door for you. Understand that the, the word here, uh, access, translated access, may carry the idea that he brought you in with him, what I was describing earlier. He brought you in with him to this grace in which you stand. You have been welcomed into a place of unhindered fellowship with God. You have settled into the sweet spot of his mercy. You now live within the sphere of his providential care. You, you with all your spiritual clumsiness, are not cast out at every slip-up. You stand in grace. That's where you are. That's, that's home for you. You stand in grace, and it's all because of Jesus. All because of Jesus, through Him. Now, one more blessing at the end of verse 2. But don't forget the foundation, right? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, now, where we left off, end of verse 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hope, we said last week, is the confident expectation of a positive outcome. Not wishful thinking, confident expectation. What's, what's that outcome? Finally seeing God in all of His glory. When all the redeemed believers like you and me are glorified with Him, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, made whole, made perfect like Him. And, and when, in, in the words of Romans 8.21, creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's glory. That's what we're talking about here. Rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. That experience of glory, of course, is on the other side of final judgment. Who can have that confident expectation to come to and through the judgment unscathed and into glory. Only those justified by faith in Jesus Christ. So, Jesus makes your destiny to be eternal glory instead of everlasting shame. If you are a believer, this is your hope. He says, rejoice. This is some good news here. So, I wonder if you're putting all this together, because this is, this is beautiful, to, to see how just even in these two verses, uh, a, a whole picture, if you have already put your faith in Christ so that you have been justified. So thinking of that as a past uh, reality, uh, something that's already settled, already done, you have been justified. Your present possession is peace with God. Your present position is the grace in which you stand. Your future is glory. Your future is glory in the presence of God and in the perfection of creation, including you. All this, not because of what you did for God, but because of what He did for you in Christ, received simply through faith. It's grace. This is what we enjoy. This is what we enjoy as a believer. But then, then it seems like Paul has to go and mess it all up. Verse 3, not only that, and you're like, whoa, what's next? Even more? There's more good stuff? Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. Oh, can we just, can we just wrap, let's pray and go home? Because this is not what I wanted to hear. This is part two. This is hope produced. Rejoice even in suffering 
because it creates more hope as you persevere. So, verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that we, we come, we've, we've went to the future, now we're back here in the, in the present. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And we'll just stop there for now. Ah, oh, Paul, really? Aren't you, and, 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 and Paul, really, aren't you being a little insensitive here at this point? Because is this really what I, Pastor Bruce, is, is this what I'm supposed to say when a, when a few days I'm, I'm visiting Linda Bechtold in her house, who is watching this morning, I imagine, but in chronic pain from a car accident that happened a year ago or more, I, I can't remember now, um, who's gone through surgery, who's gone through all kinds of uh, visits and medication, who doesn't want to be put on any narcotics, and she's, she's praying, she told me, Lord, just like heal me or take me home. And I'm supposed to say to her, oh no, rejoice. That's, that's, that's a little hard. We should note in uh, other passages, Paul does affirm grieving with hope. We referenced 1 Thessalonians uh, last week, but um, it's a passage we looked at at Sharon Comer's funeral. Grieve, yes. When, when you go through loss, when people, people you love die, grieve, yes. But grieve, as a Christian, with hope. We grieve as a Christian with hope, because death does not have the last word. When Christ returns, there's final victory. There's sweet reunion. There is eternal life. Uh, you could say, well, I guess that's another case for joy. Um, well, think also about the, the Psalms of lament as another biblical response to suffering. I mean, is it supposed to be all just joy? Yeah. Uh, Psalms of lament, uh, take, take, where we take our pains and the injustices that, we, that have been inflicted on us, we take those to God. So, Think of Psalm 13. It opens this way. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Crying out to God uh, for him to act, yet ultimately trusting in him. The same psalm ends this way. Psalm 13, 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I guess Paul's not out of line here. What all these passages show, Romans 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, Psalm 13, more and more, you can get to the joy when you see the bigger picture, when you know the end of the story, when you know that your life is in God's hands. Now, now understand, I do think this is meant to be provocative. Paul, Paul is meaning this to be like, really? We, we rejoice in our sufferings. Like, I was, I, was really, I was rolling right along with you, and then, whoa, I just I felt a little whiplash there at verse 3. And he, it, I think that is part of it. It's meant to be provocative and almost paradoxical in the way that, in hope, Abraham believed against hope. The paradox, though, doesn't make it nonsense. That's what gives it, gives it the power. We, we're going to rejoice even in this? The reality is, apart from 
the unfailing promise and the redeeming purpose of God, suffering is literally a dead end. It is worthless. It is useless. But in the unfailing promise, with the unfailing promise and in the redeeming purpose of God, suffering can be productive. It can lead to something better. And that's priceless. That's priceless. For the believer, what does suffering produce? Where, where does suffering lead? It says here, suffering produces endurance, or it can be translated as steadfastness. Now, if you are a, a distance runner, you know that that is true. <laughs> no pain, no gain. The suffering produces endurance. We've got teens here who run cross-country. Uh, we've got uh, some adults who've run marathons before. Uh, but you, especially you runners, would laugh if I'd said, you know, today I think uh, I'm going to run a 5K. I just decided today I'm just going to get up off the couch, lace up the sneaks, I'm going to go do that. And I mean, just even a 5K, not a marathon, just, just a, a shorter distance. And that is not, that is not going to work because I have not built up the endurance in my lungs, in, in my calves. I don't, I don't have it. I, I have not built up that endurance. How would I do that? Well, you know that. Even if you're not a runner, you know that over time, pushing myself a little harder, a little further, you, you reach like the ability to do two miles and then five miles and and then 10 miles, and, and eventually you're, you're trying to get up to that 26-mile marathon. Now, you're like, okay, Bruce, I understand the illustration, and I know where you're going with this, but I don't want to run a marathon. I just want to sit on the couch. I, I, you can you pray. We, why don't we just pray, God, I wouldn't need endurance if you'd just spare me the pain. But you need endurance for what it produces. What does it say? Character. The Greek word here has the idea of, uh, of having been put to the test. So some translations have this as proven character. This is like the proven in the sense, uh, not like intellectually proved. I've, I've put forth this syllogism. If this, if A is plus B is C, then so, and then you just kind of logic in it, logic out, that kind of proving. Uh, this is proven the way that a, something is put to the test, like a, a way a piece of pottery is fired in a kiln, or the way uh, glass or steel is tempered, superheated to increase its strength. That's, that's the, prove, what's the sense of being proven here. Again, you might say, God, I don't need to be strong. Just, just take me out of the heat. But God is not, he's not a, an overprotective father who will not let his child feel any pain. He lets us feel, if I can put it this way, he, he lets us feel enough of the brokenness and evil of this world, the kinds of things that break his heart and sometimes stir his wrath. He's letting us feel that. And when he does, he's not punishing you. He's not, he hasn't forgotten you. He's not abandoned you. But he's with you. He's for you. And in it, he is using it to strengthen you and mature you. 
we could say with James, he's doing it to perfect and complete you. You know this passage as well. James 1, 2 to 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And that's why, to return to Paul here, Romans 5, this proven character produces hope. You may be exhausted and hurting, aching after that run, but when you reach a distance that you've never run before, it feels good, right? Uh, yeah, Ellen can tell us it feels good. We, you may you don't, maybe not know that. Yeah, it feels when you reach a distance you've never run before, it feels good. Either you don't notice the pain or the pain seems worth it. Why? Because, because you reach a new level. You are a runner. And that gives you hope that you can finish this marathon. Now, we have to talk about this, though, too. Yeah. What, I, look at, I look at that nice, neat sequence that Paul gives. It seems just inevitable, automatic, and uh, I don't know that I've been on that path. Uh, I've been on the suffering part, not sure about the uh, endurance, character, and hope. What if you fail? What if you What if you look at the way you've handled hardships and there's little evidence that you're getting stronger, and instead of suffering producing uh, endurance and character and hope, you seem to end up with failure, shame, and, well, hopelessness. Paul, yes, it seems to describe something that's almost automatic and James communicates the same thing, though. He says this will happen, but he also includes the exhortation. Remember, count it all joy, meaning it's just we do have to look at things differently. This is something that we can, we can forget. We can, we can lose sight of what God is doing through these things. So he's got to remind us, you've got you to look at this and count it as joy. We need a bigger perspective in our suffering. So when, when we talk about this, when Paul talks about this, when, when James talks about this, when I'm preaching this, don't hear this as, as, oh, you know, preacher was kind of scolding us today for complaining, like we should, we should count it all joy and, you know, don't stop complaining about snow in April, you know, some people are living in Siberia. You, know, you don't want to eat your broccoli. Hey, well, there's kids that are starving somewhere, so you just better eat it. Folks, you can't, you can't be guilted into joy. You might be guilted into eating your broccoli or stopping complaining about the snow, but you can't be guilted into joy. That's not what we're doing here today. That's not what this is about. This is about looking at your circumstances, and when you, say, when you say, I have, there are so many reasons why I want to complain, why I want to, to give up hope, when I, I, I just want to give up altogether. Uh, I, do I believe in a God whose sovereignty knows no limits, whose providence extends to ev- my every need and my every circumstance, whose promise to bless 
to and through eternity is just as sure as His character, His faithfulness, His righteousness, His goodness and grace. What if we, okay, yeah, that's all true. We know that. But what if we lose sight of that truth? Are you going to lose sight of that and then and then fail in keeping your joy? Yes, I know that that does happen. That will happen. It, it happened to Abraham, right? We looked at that last week. And, but sometimes what we see here in this part of Romans 5, sometimes the, the reason that we see a, a cause for hope comes from our growth. And, and if, it's, if we just look at that, uh, we could be discouraged when we don't see growth. What I'm trying to get at is there's something on either side of this middle piece. Sandwiched, this is sandwiched in between some bigger realities. Yes, your growth, God's work in you should give you hope. But the, on either side of it is the more objective, the more solid reasons for hope that I want to make sure that you see. So, like this paragraph does, it starts with the foundation of being justified through faith in Christ, and it ends with the consolation of the love of God by the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to go to verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is part 3, hope proved. Let God's love through His Spirit assure you your hope is not misplaced. So what does it mean that hope does not put us to shame? Some translations have it, hope does not disappoint. Okay, you might be puzzling through that. Um, Have you ever been, maybe we'll handle the disappointment uh, first. That's a little bit easier to to follow. Maybe you've been looking forward to uh, to your favorite meal at a popular restaurant. Maybe, maybe it's especially maybe something, someplace you've never been to before, but everybody's talking about it. Oh, you've been looking forward to this. And, or maybe you're going to a, a, a huge concert by your favorite artist, or you've been planning a trip of a lifetime. You've been saving for this trip for years, and it finally, but, but when it's all said and done, it just didn't live up to your expectation. Remember expectation? That's a hope word didn't live up to your expectations. You were disappointed, let down. Don't, and don't just think like, oh, hmm. not like crushed. Think, think. That's, that's, that's more the level we're talking about. I know the restaurant or the concert's a, maybe a trivial example, but think about being disappointed, being just like, this is, I thought this was going to be the best. This was going to be the big thing. This is going to make my day, my year. And it, was, it just fell flat. What about shame? Think about how shame fits in this passage. Before, before we explain hope does not lead us to shame, does not put us to shame, think about how shame fits in this passage. In one sense, it's the opposite of glory, right? Do, do you end in glory or shame? Are you, the, are you the victor celebrating, cutting down the nets at the basketball tournament, or are you going home like, oh, I blew it. I missed the, the free throw at the end of the game. I cost my team. Like, are you... Glory, shame. Shame is also in contrast here with another, with another word in this passage, and it's something I haven't pointed out yet. Maybe you noticed that, especially if you're looking at the English Standard Version that I'm using, uh, there's a footnote uh, by the word rejoice in verse 2. 
And of course, it's the same word in verse 3, rejoice or boast. Now, there's there's a whole other thing. We could go on for quite a while about, oh, we're boasting in our sufferings. Paul, Paul talks about that. I boast in my weakness. So the power of God may be seen in me. I mean, that, that's, that would be a whole other fruitful uh, discussion. But, but the significance there is what he's talked about before, earlier in Romans, about how the, uh, sometimes the Jews were tempted to boast in, their, in the law, in their keeping the law, and says, hey, there's no room for boasting. If this is by faith, there's no room for boasting. Abraham has no boast. You and I have no boast if we're saved by faith. Oh, but we have a boast. We, 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 we boast, we exult. Again, this is not, uh, again, the word can go both ways. Either a bragging, the wrong kind of bragging boasting, or the boasting that is just like, oh yeah, look at this, this is great. Uh, this, let, let, let's, let's promote this, let's put this up there. This is, so boasting in the hope of the glory of God. But here, again, we, trying to link this to this word of shame. Let me, um, let me see if I can do this uh, it's not a perfect example, but none are. This is, let's, let's pretend a little bit here uh, with my story earlier about going to the conference. Pretend my conference experience went differently. Say I had been, you know, leading up to this big thing, like, oh, this is a big event. So many people are going to be there from all over the country, all over the world. And, uh, and I'm telling my, my pastoral colleagues, you know, I'm, you know, telling Pastor Chris up in Stillman Valley, okay, I'm going to the conference. I'm going to be in there talking with, you know, rubbing shoulders with all the, the big names and the, the megachurch pastors. I'm going to be there, and it's going to be great, and I'm going to be up there. And, and, uh, and then after I've been talking big about how this is going to be, I mean, and again, I'm not boasting uh, in one sense about what I did. I'm, 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 I'm kind of pushing this big thing that's going to be my expected outcome right? This is boasting in my expected outcome, my expectations. But then my brother, let's, let's say, this didn't happen, but let's, let's say my brother, who I pinned all my hopes on, didn't show. And I'm left standing outside the convention center, disappointed, right? Disappointed and ashamed, right? Because now everybody that walks past me, and is just, ima- just imagining, imagine, all my friends are going to be walking past me. They're going to be looking at me like, I thought you were Mr. Big Shot going into the big, you know, soiree, and you're standing out here on the sidewalk, ashamed. My expectations didn't pan out. My, my hopes had been misplaced in, in some sense, and I look like a fool. Couldn't Abraham have felt that way? Moved to, moved to Canaan when he was 75, with faith in God, that God would keep his promise, that, that, and that was his hope, his confident expectation that God would come through, would give him a family, that family would grow to a nation, they would have their own homeland. But it was not until he was 125 years later. It's just a few chapters in the Bible. It's 25 years later that he has a son according to God's plan. That the, that the, and that was just the promise beginning to be fulfilled. Hebrews 11 says he died not seeing the promise fulfilled completely. He died not seeing all the promises fulfilled. At any time over those years, he could have wondered, is my hope misplaced? Am I just going to come out looking like a fool? Leaving my home, wandering as a dweller in tents, 
and I'm waiting for this elderly woman to bear my child. Is God going to keep his word or will I be let down, left hanging, disappointed, a fool? Shame. We could see our story like Abraham in this way. Any, any growth in character and strength in us is incomplete at best. But if God has changed us from what we were or would have been, take heart. Take hope. He's beginning to keep his promise. But this verse here, verse 5, Romans 5, this verse gives us something even better because just like our justification through Christ is based on a reality that's beyond you and me, and yet it is very personal and present within us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, this is a, whole, this is a, a vast topic, and it's one that he's going he's gonna to talk more about the love of God in the next paragraph. He's going to talk about the, much more about the Holy Spirit in chapter 8, as well as hope and suffering in those chapters, in, the, in that chapter. So in wrapping up this sermon, I'm not, we're not going to say everything, because there's much more to be said. I'm going to say just a couple of things. First, I want you to see that this also, that what this means is that God, if you are a believer, remember that, where we started the paragraph? If you are a believer... If you have been justified by faith in Christ, God has given you His Spirit. God has given you His Holy Spirit. Now, that might not, like, what's, what's the big deal there? It's only a big deal because there are many Christians who have thought, who have understood the Holy Spirit to be something that, well, you get kind of later on if you're really serious or if you're really committed or if you really, really ask really, really hard that God will give you His Spirit. Just understand that the Holy Spirit is something that Paul, the way Paul describes it, if you're a believer, God has, God has done this. So just as much as you can say, if therefore, since we have been justified through faith in Christ, we have peace with God, and we stand in grace, and we have hope of the glory of God, we have the Spirit that He has given to us. That, take it to the bank. That is another possession. But um, His presence in your life. Now, take, take that with confidence. He, he is there. God has given that to you. Even if you don't feel the love that it says God has put in your heart, if you don't feel it yet, start here, believing. I'm trusting in Christ. I believe God's given me His Spirit. And then hear these words too from Ephesians 1. In Him, speaking of Jesus, in Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. A guarantee of the inheritance. You have the Spirit, not just to communicate to you that God's love, but in, in some sense, God's love is being communicated to you through this whole package, if you will. He says, I'm giving you, I'm going to be present with you so that you can be sure this, this deposit, this down payment, if you will, of the greater inheritance yet to come. It's just a, it's, it's one sense, a, it seems like a small thing right now to you. I mean, it's, 
it should be mind-blowing and amazing that we have God's Spirit in us as a believer. But in, in another sense, it, it may feel small compared to the promise of glory that is yet to come. And in that sense, yes, it's true. And we go through suffering, we go through trial, and we're like, this wasn't, the, this wasn't what I was counting on. When I, when, I, when I thought that there was the confident expectation of a positive outcome, glory, I, I thought that's what I had in Christ, and then there's all this suffering. He says, let me give you just enough to know that my promise is true, and I'm gonna, then the whole thing is coming. I'm giving you just a little now, but the whole thing is on the way. That's what it means to have something of a down payment that serves as a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. You don't have possession of everything, but this morning we've been seeing in Romans 5, we got, we got some things that are pretty good, that are, that are mind-blowing, world-changing, very good, and those things that you have, peace with God, grace to stand, hope of glory, Holy Spirit within you to, to let you know of God's love, that can take you through suffering with joy, that's how we can rejoice in hope. Because the rest of it is on the way. And hope will not put you to shame. We will not come to that day and be disappointed. Well, this didn't live up. I mean, I read all the reviews. It just, this was, it was poor. The service was lousy. This is the, this, I, I, I listened, I listened to the, you know, the music for years, I thought this was a great, and it got to the concert, and he can't sing at all. We get to the, I, I, the pictures of Hawaii were amazing. I get there, and it's raining. When we get to the end, we will not be disappointed. We will not be ashamed, like, oh, I put my faith in God, and this, what a Hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And we're going to press into knowing and, and experiencing God's love for us even through this next week as we come back to this passage. But take hold of these things, brothers and sisters, today. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you would give us the assurance that our hope is not misplaced. God, make, may, make your truth, make your presence known more to us. And God, I pray for also the very practical, very real-life stuff of, of responding to suffering in a new way, with a vision of growth, with, with a vision for strength, of, of going a little further, of pressing a little harder in your strength to see us grow stronger as we look forward to the day in which you will make us completely whole, completely new. Lord, we are thanking you that we can pray this 
with confidence because of Jesus, what he has done, and the spirit who lives now within us. We praise you. We boast in you, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.